Welcome to Paper Napkin, a podcast about connection. The world felt distant and connection felt hard. So we created a place for conversation, connection, and closeness. If not in proximity, then certainly in spirit. Grab a pen and a piece of paper or a paper napkin and get ready to consider how to connect deeply, honestly, and impactfully. Cece Chow is a business owner, entrepreneur, visual artist, filmmaker, photographer, and model. She shares both her experience in houseplants, food crops, and flowers via her business, an indoor garden concept shop called Kokodama, and her experience as a trans person through her Instagram and YouTube accounts at The Transplanter. While Cece and I don't technically know each other, I thought of her for this podcast because I am so awed by the way in which she connects with people online. Through a mixture of honesty, raw vulnerability, self-awareness, and courage, Cece shares her thoughts and adventures and offers the opportunity for strangers to connect with her and her story. I'm interested to learn how she makes these virtual connections seem so natural and how she connects in real life. Cece, thank you so much for being open to be on the podcast with me today. Thank you so much for having me on. It feels like a bit of an honor. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you about so many things. First off, we spoke a little bit about what you do, but I'd love to hear straight from you what you do and especially why you do it. So I do a lot of things. And in the end, I think what I really am trying to do is to connect people with themselves. My journey has been very much a self-discovery journey and I want people to go on their own self-discovery journeys as well. And so when I work in Kogedama, it's sort of this connection with nature and then like I believe that that connection helps us to connect to ourselves, especially when we live in, in very urban or metropolitan type settings. It can be easy to lose our connection to, to nature and it becomes very capitalist and part of the machine. And we as people are so much more than that. And then as a filmmaker, I want to tell stories because Everybody has an amazing story. And through those stories, we can find bits of ourselves in other people's lives. And sometimes their journey can inform us of our journey in ways that we didn't or couldn't see. And so I think that's what I actually do. I just have sort of many channels to do it through. So the why is that connection to the self that comes through a variety of different mediums. And you mentioned the storytelling element and the filmmaking element. And a key part of that would be connection. How do you connect in that first instance? I am very much an intuitive person. I am very, I'm very emotional and very sensitive. And so when I connect with people, I describe it as our energies 
resonate. And a lot of times it's either our energies resonate or they don't. And so if they don't, we become acquaintances. And if they do, I kind of fall into this. We're just friends now, right? And I kind of just behave in that way. It hasn't gotten me into trouble yet. So it's a very just intuitive, it feels like we're friends. And this idea of the energies resonating and the intuitive approach that you use when it comes to connection, is that something that you've always had or is that something that you've had to cultivate? I I think it's a thing that I've always had, but the thing that I needed to cultivate was the ability to honor that and to listen to it. And so when, when my gut and my heart is saying, I don't think this is a person that you're going to connect deeply with. And it's just to listen to that and not try to make it something that it's not. And then the flip side is to listen to the, this person should be your friend and you should be this person's friend type of urge. Because if I don't listen to it, then I miss out on so many beautiful connections. And as an introvert, I've made a lot of meaningful connections that way where it can be a big challenge to do it in a big group for me to listen to that and almost zero in on that person and put my energy there that has resulted in a lot of really beautiful and amazing friendships. What do you think meaningful connection looks like? I think it's a thing that's beyond words. It's a way of making room for a person just the way that they are, not feeling like You need to change them. You know, we all have our issues, but to approach a person as a whole person and where that's reciprocal and we have our shortcomings and we have our strengths and those are simply a, a person, right? I do enjoy being able to explore ideas, sometimes crazy ideas. And now that I'm saying it, I think there's multiple facets to it. You know, like there are people with whom I have a connection because I can explore product design with them and other people where we explore art and how we express ourselves through art. And with other people, it's a connection through shared understanding, I guess, and in all of those, but it might be exploring mental health. It might be exploring our struggles within the world. And I think maybe for me, it's being able to explore with a person and to go to new places that we hadn't been before whether it's intellectually or creatively or maybe politically, although I'm not super political. And that exploration is really important. It means that we're open to new things together. It means we're willing to listen. It means we're willing to make space. 
A lot of what you spoke about there was around the idea of finding commonalities, perhaps in other people, finding a shared understanding or some some element to relate to. And I'm curious, as far as your experiences go, do you find it easy to find common ground with people or is that something that is challenging? It's sometimes challenging. And for me, it's relatively challenging to connect with men deeply. Whereas it's a lot easier. It feels almost effortless connecting with other women or non-binary people. And that's always been a thing for me. It's not something that I've explored with a therapist yet, but probably something to explore. But I think after, after I came out like a few years ago, that really changed my ability to see people as they were and to not project my assumptions and my lenses on them. And that, that made a huge difference. Like after I came out, I connected with way, way, way more people. And I think it's because when I came out, I felt very much in a lot of circles that I was the other, you know, I wasn't part of the group. And it was this realization that at some point we all probably feel like the other, we all have our things. And, and so that really helps me put things into perspective. And then to go through the challenges that I've gone through as a woman who's trans and to understand that a lot of our challenges are common to the human condition where like I have body issues, but you know, when it comes down to it, cis women have body image issues and cis men have body image issues and everybody has their body image issues unless they you know work through them and come out the other side but in a sense i think our struggles when we dig deep enough are the same struggles but that our contexts for those struggles are different and when we can look at people with that view, or at least for me, it helped me connect with people easier. So many incredible thoughts that you just touched on there. And the one thing that stood out is this idea that we all have the same struggles, but the context is different. And the other, I think, is this topic that comes up again and again. And what you said there around the fact that perhaps every other can be viewed as an extension of ourselves, right? And that there's commonalities in everyone and perhaps more commonalities than there are differences. And I wonder in your experience and, you know, as you mentioned, coming out allowed you to see people as they were, how were you able to make that 
move towards a more perhaps welcoming or inclusive viewpoint of other people and and to stop projecting your own perspectives on them what was that was there a moment a light bulb moment or was it a gradual procession it wasn't a light bulb moment definitely I think it just kind of happened gradually but relatively quickly because after it came out you know I had this thing where I was like okay I gotta come out to my now ex-wife and my parents my brother and then my kids and it was like after that I'm gonna start my social transition I like I have to do this or I'm just gonna slowly die and right away as soon as I began that process you know sort of dressing differently and looking differently and looking very sort of in between gender presentations let's say I I found that for quite a long time people would just stare when I was walking by and they would stare they would be so lost in their own heads trying to figure out this person walking by me where do I categorize this person it's like they're kind of feminine but they're kind of not and so they would stare so hard that at one point I was just I got so annoyed and I stared back at them right in the eyes And normally that would make a person stop, you know, usually turn, turn away, look away, something like that. But they kept staring. Like they didn't even know that I was looking them straight in the eye. And to have that kind of attention and really unwanted attention, like I never want to make somebody else feel the way I felt where I felt like a circus show where it didn't matter to that person who I was or how I felt. I was just, I felt like I was just a spectacle. And I, it was just like, I never want somebody else to feel this. And especially not because of me. What an impactful and really poignant story and I'm I'm I can feel the experience through your description of it and what hit me from what you just said especially is the fact that you made eye contact with them and they continued to stare and I think the feeling that that would elicit of of a lack of respect maybe a lack of boundaries of that feeling of of not being able to put up a wall or defend yourself isn't the right word, but, you know, to feel maybe confident in that situation. If you had the chance to say something to one of those people, would you say something? And what would you say? I've I've never said anything to those people. I think mostly out of uh, fear for my own safety. When they talk about like washroom stuff, for trans people where they're like, oh, we we can't have trans people in the washroom that they want to go in because, you know, it's it's like perverts and predators and whatever. But like, I had these experiences where early in transition, I was like, okay, how, how am I going to make the least 
amount of trouble. And so at the beginning I was like, okay, I'll just continue to use the men's washroom because I think that I won't cause trouble that way. But in the men's washrooms, I would get very aggressive staring. And in this way, you know, it's this byproduct of the toxic masculinity where men are kind of only permitted to display two emotions. They can be happy or they can be angry and aggressive. And so me walking into a men's washroom, appearing very feminine, yet having some masculine qualities felt really strange for them and it didn't make them happy. And so they got aggressive. And in those situations, like sometimes it just felt like, okay, like if I make the wrong move and I'm just like walking in, using the stall, you know, like what, and then coming out and washing my hands and trying to get out as quick as possible. It felt like if I made the wrong move that violence was going to happen. And so that sort of sense of fear for my safety was a lot stronger than like needing to confront a person. And I'm typically, you know, when you get into like fight, flight, or freeze, I'm a freezer. And so that sort of confrontation instinct doesn't crop up very often. When you are faced with that situation and it is an a dangerous situation to be in. I think fight or flight is such a bare bones way to look at it. And I think a lot of people's response actually is to freeze. I guess the extension of my question and maybe where the question originally came from, and I'm not sure if it's even a good question, honestly, but I just wonder, and maybe it's not a question for you to have to have the answer to, but what could be said to that person to communicate the way that that made you feel, or would that even be something that could be communicated? I guess I I ask this because I think of the idea of the other. And I think that there's all these conversations around the fact that if you can be present and have a conversation with someone, it is harder to see them as an other when you have formed a connection with them. But I don't know that in this instance that that would be possible. I'm not sure if that's even a question. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, it's, it's actually a good question. I think that sort of in that situation, you know, it's, it really isn't safe a lot of times to confront them. I think the answer probably lies in representation in media online in articles tv shows youtube tiktok like sort of all of the the media that we consume to normalize the whatever the other is and like in my case it's just because i'm trans but i think we're making great strides sort of in the mental health space where we're like finally talking about it and understanding that every almost everybody has mental health struggles and they just happen to exhibit in a different way for different people and I think representation then 
can change the larger population's perspective of a group of people. And that's not to say that you can understand any one given individual fully through that. But if there was more positive trans representation, then people would be like, oh yeah, like she's probably trans and that's it. And for it to not be really another thing, it's just, oh yeah, there's these trans people and she's a trans person. It's just like saying, oh, that's a brunette or, you know, that person has blue eyes. And I, I feel like in a lot of spaces we're in the infancy of breaking down those barriers. Well, and like you say, I think representation plays such a huge role in that. And this feels like a good time to bring up the work that you do online with your YouTube channel and your Instagram, where you are working to represent yourself both as a trans woman and as a member of the Asian community. What spurred that as far as creating that larger connection and building that community? And what have you found to be the result of it? So when I came out, I fully intended to quietly come out and like on Facebook, I didn't, you know, people sometimes will just have a coming out post. I, I didn't do that at all. I had my first gender affirming haircut. I was walking in these passageways between buildings downtown that you can walk through so that you don't have to go outside because sometimes it's minus 30 degrees Celsius. And where you can walk between the buildings through these plus 15s. And they're, they're called that because they're like 15 feet off, off the ground and they're covered and heated. And um, I was walking through that and I was like, oh, I wonder how I look. And I pulled out my phone and kind of looked at myself on my phone and maybe for the first time, like really felt like I love the picture of the person looking back at me. And so I took a selfie and I kept looking at that selfie. And then I, a uh, couple days later, I changed my profile picture. And, you know, my hair was sort of just under chin length and had these nice waves in it because the stylist is really good. And, you know, I changed that photo and I had changed my pronouns on Facebook like a couple months before that. And, Facebook doesn't announce when you change your pronouns, but when you change your profile picture, it will say, and I didn't, I didn't go by Cece then, but like Cece changed her profile picture. And that was my sort of big coming out. I was just like the people that I have told in person, I feel like I needed to tell them and I wanted to everybody else. I was like, I don't really owe you my story. And so I fully intended to just quietly transition, try to get to a place where I could just blend in and live my life. But the further into transition I got, the more I couldn't sit still. And I, I 
just don't want other people to have the experiences that I've had. And I don't want kids to grow up the way I grew up, feeling different and then feeling like not being able to do something about it and feeling like I'm just going to have to be someone that I'm not. And then also for people who did grow up like me and maybe who are older and who haven't come out, a lot of the sort of representation around trans lives is like people are relatively young. Like if we're going to talk about Jazz Jennings or something like that, and they transition really young. And as a result, they get to be like super pretty because they don't go through like testosterone influenced puberty and stuff. But, you know, people growing up in the 80s and 90s, like I did, we just didn't have that representation. We didn't know that we could be who we were and that there were ways to be comfortable in our bodies. And I wanted the trans people who were later in life, who hadn't come out yet, you know, I, I want them to see that they're not alone and you can come out later in life. Like I came out at 42 and that it's doable. You can have a life. It is going to be hard, but you can be who you are. And so I just, I couldn't just sit still. I, I think mostly it was started on Instagram and actually a lot of trans creator content is centered. It, the content is created for trans people. For me, I really wanted my content to tell my story as a trans woman, but written in a way that hopefully reaches basically cis people. So like non-trans people, because cis people are sort of the bulk of the people in the world. And so the people in power, the lawmakers, the, the city council, like provincial and federal politicians and staff, they're mostly cis. We're, I mean, we're getting some sort of trans representation in politics as well. But for me, it was like, those, those are the people who need to see that trans people are just people and we're just trying to live. And these are the struggles that we have. And we're not trying to invade or to pollute people's minds or whatever. Like we just want to be able to live an abundant life just like anybody else. And so my posts in large part are, my target audience is actually non-trans people so that they can have an idea. Like for a lot of people I that I know, like I'm the only trans person that they know, but that that makes a huge difference because if we go back to like washroom bills and things like that, you know, people who actually know me when they're perhaps in a conversation that's centered around washroom bills and trans people, they're able to say, well, you know, I, I have a friend, Cece, and like these are her experiences in gendered washrooms. 
and it was really hard for her. And it, it changes the conversation from a theoretical sort of conversation to something that's more personal. This is an actual person and this is what she's experienced. And it's a very different conversation to have rather than debating on an intellectual sort of level. Well, if you let this happen, then this and this. But the reality is the experiences of trans people are, yeah, we kind of just want to get in there and, you know, do our business and get out sort of just like everybody else. And so, yeah, I really, I try to reach as big of an audience and make my content as digestible as possible. What you're doing, I think, is sharing the human experience. And and as you say so frequently, the responses to look at statistics or look at numbers or create the intellectual argument without looking at the humanity behind it. And I think that the level of humanity that you bring in your writing is so profound in that it is, you spoke about the struggles, but I think that there's also the joy that you really share in it. And I think that that multifaceted nature of humanity is portrayed really beautifully in your writing. You said at the beginning that you started off thinking, I don't owe you my story. And it sounds like I think you still don't owe anyone your story, but you've decided to share your story and the ownership over the decision to share your story feels powerful as well. It's definitely empowering, I think, for queer people and especially for trans people, because if we go through a medical type and and social transition, it's so visible and so it's hard to hide that you're trans and to be out in the world. And so you're coming out all the time and like sort of being forced to come out and to have control over your story, to have agency over your story, to tell it when you want and the way that you want is super empowering when in a lot of situations it feels like I don't have a choice of how or or when I tell this story, you know, regardless of it, if it's safe or not safe. And there was this one summer where before I got my ID changed, I got in a car accident and I had to show my ID to the other driver and to the cops. And I also rented a van to move my store and I had to show my ID and, you know, my old ID had the gender marker M for male on there. And it was like, am I going to have to have that conversation where it's, oh, this is not your ID or, you know, the, the picture didn't really match anymore and things like that. So it feels like there's a lot of situations where we don't have control over it. We're at the mercy of whoever it is on the other side and social media allows me to tell the story in the way and in the time that honors where I'm at and my experiences and for me to be in the right mental space to do it. 
And you use social media, you use the virtual world as a way to foster connection. How can others do the same? What can we learn from you as far as the way that you've created community in a virtual space? When I first got into Instagram, it was a business account for my plant business. And I had decided really early on that if I do the social media thing, it's not going to be just the highlight reels of my business because I sort of encountered so many new entrepreneurs and you go online and and they're saying this company is, is amazing and this artist is amazing and all of these things. And sometimes I would be like, well, actually I'm friends with this artist or this small business owner and they're going through a lot right now but you just don't get to see it and so I had decided early on that I wanted to make that really transparent in that I wanted new entrepreneurs to know that you're this thing that you're doing this entrepreneur thing that you're doing is going to be a huge slog and there's going to be some really amazing stuff and there's going to be really really crappy stuff and there's going to be a lot of it and you need to really love what you're doing really believe in it to to get you through and so that sort of translated over into my more personal social media presence and I bring sort of this level of vulnerability and honesty and and maybe I share a lot and it's not for everybody to share the way I share but I think we all need to also set boundaries around what we want to share but I I it it's mostly around vulnerability and I think that's what people often are connecting with and for them to be like, oh, this is a person through the internet on the other side. And these are like real experiences. It's not TV, it's not a show that's produced. I I think that's what people connect with when they encounter my content. The raw honesty, I think, is what you were just speaking about. And that is hugely impactful, especially in a virtual space that is now moving towards that, but has become notoriously not always that, you know, the shiny sparkly side is often the side that people are wanting to share online. You said in the very beginning of our conversation that you see yourself as an introvert. Do you think that social media and the virtual space lends itself to your introversion? I think so. It allows me to reach a lot of people where if you put me in a room full of like 20 people, I would be very challenged. And in a lot of crowd type situations, I will try to connect with one or two people and then just focus on them. And I find that social media allows me to do the same thing where it's sort of this broadcast and then you have a few people who 
might comment and their comments might be really insightful or they may share my experience or they may connect with the experience that I'm sharing and then being able to pick those people out and sometimes just start a conversation with them around what they had commented. And I've met quite a few people that way. Some that we just know each other over the internet and other people who live in the same city or not too far away. That's been really amazing. I've made more friends in the last two years than probably all of my life previous in the 42 years or whatever. And they feel, you know, they feel like meaningful, like meaningful relationships, not just acquaintances. I wonder if that's also because of the depth that you're bringing to these conversations, that your depth means that the meaningful connections are growing quicker or that there's a feeling of acceptance that leads to vulnerability on their end as well. From the conversations that you and I have had, I think that you being who you are creates space for other people to open up about their experiences as well in a really beautiful way. I'd like to think so. I'm not very big for small talk. For me, small talk is a couple minutes is fine, you know, it kind of warms up your voice or whatever. But I, I often just want to get down to exploring. And I, I feel like that's how we really get to know people. You know, small talk for an hour is you can kind of get to the end of it, but then you like know that the person has a dog and they're married and they have kids. You know their demographic. I'm a big fan of just getting into things. And some of the questions I might ask somebody is, what do you do when you're not working? Or what's your creative outlet? Because I have this thing where I'm like, everybody has a creative outlet, even though they don't think they do, but they do. So then it, it puts us on this trajectory for exploration. Do you think that the work that you do impacts the way that you view connections and the way that you make connections? Oh, that's a good question. My gut is to say that it does. And I was going to say, I think the context of the meeting makes a difference, but maybe it doesn't really. I often will take conversations to places where we might be exploring like themes of otherness or the flip side is commonality and because of the practice of doing that publicly in in social media it becomes easy to go there and one of my big things right now is representation and as an Asian woman who is trans these sort of identity intersections there which first of all trans representation is it's pretty slim at least it's it's getting better but then if you throw in the Asian factor there's a lot of not great 
Asian trans representation, or it's very polarized. People will think of the trans performers who are in Thailand. That's probably one of the first things that comes to mind. But I watched this documentary on Netflix called Disclosure. It's a great documentary about trans people and Hollywood and representation. And on that documentary, there is one Asian trans woman, and I can't even remember her name. This is something I should know. But her whole talking point was that there's next to zero Asian trans representation that's positive. And it's a 90 minute documentary or something. And she got, I don't know, it felt like 60 seconds. And when I watched that, I was like, really? You guys did that? Her whole point was that there's no representation. And then the producers turned around and proved her point. And when I considered that, that's so true. You know, before I came out, I didn't see anybody like me. And a large bulk of the trans stories that we hear are Caucasian Western narratives and the Asian queer narratives are in a lot of ways are very different because of our cultural heritage and and things like that. And it makes it really hard to come out of the closet. So because it's important to me, I, I find myself often going to those spaces and it's really changed the way I connect. And not necessarily that I have to talk about Asian trans people, but in the winter, we have snow plows that plow the streets and they leave these huge snow berms up against the, the sidewalk. Well, I have a friend with MS and she uses a walker. Well, she is stuck on her block because she can't get over the snow berms. So I'll connect on things like that and get into things that I feel are important. And it's not just my story you know it's our stories and sharing them where we can to make a difference sharing that disabled people have huge challenges in the winter because of the way we plow the streets and maybe we should have somebody also come through and like level out pathways in the berm so that people can get around and even seniors can really struggle with that. Like I'm just one person having that conversation, but then if I have that conversation with somebody else, hopefully they will also have that conversation with somebody else. And it's not necessarily this really rapid change driving thing, but I, I don't know. I don't know when I became this person that was an advocate for people. Yeah, an advocate for just people. You see injustices and you attach to them and want to share their stories and communicate that to a larger audience. And that's probably also the filmmaker and the storyteller in you alongside the activist, like you spoke. What is one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? Respect pronouns. I would say sort of on that vein. And it's like really, 
very personal, but when you introduce yourself, introduce yourself with pronouns, it makes the whole sharing of pronouns normal. And so we can put them in our email signatures, on our business cards. When we're on Zoom, you can just put your pronouns at the end of your name. And that way for trans people, it doesn't single them out because they're probably already feeling singled out. They're probably already feeling nervous in social situations. And for everybody to introduce themselves with pronouns makes it so that when the trans person is introducing themselves and like, like, oh, well, these are the pronouns I use. And especially for non-binary people, they can present in any number of ways and you won't necessarily know their pronouns. But then having to be the only person sharing your pronouns, it feels like a spotlight is on you. And so if we're all sharing our pronouns, then there is no spotlight. It's just normal. And it's just the thing that we do. It's like probably the easiest way a person can be an ally. It does make a big difference because if you are sharing your pronouns, I'm like, okay, I think you get it. And I think that you won't try to kill me. I mean, not flippantly in some situations, it feel really really dangerous. And so if there's another person sharing the pronouns, it's if I need help, I think this is the person that I'm going to go to. And so it's a very real way for people to be allies. It creates a safe space, I guess. And what, like you say, what a simple way actually for us as allies to do that. I just, as you were speaking, changed mine in my Zoom. And I think that's brilliant because I had changed it on LinkedIn and on my email signatures and Zoom and and these types of communications that were on all day was an oversight on my part. So thank you for that. And I thank you also for the advice to lead with that in conversation as well. In my day-to-day life in the corporate world, I'm constantly saying my name's Kendra Rogers and it takes very little to add And my pronouns are she and her, but the impact that that could make is, is huge. So thank you for that. I hope that those listening will do the same if they haven't already, and that we can make that one step closer to safe spaces in every setting. And and I think, you know, it's interesting what you said, because when I see someone who has shared their pronouns on social media, and I think actually, especially on LinkedIn, I feel a connection to them immediately as well. As a, as a person who considers himself an ally, I appreciate seeing representation in other allies as well as having those conversations offline. And to see the amount that that is ha- happening now is heartwarming and important. And when I think about the Skipping Stone Foundation where I first had that presented to me as an opportunity to be a supporter back in 2016 and got my little she, her pin 
to think about how far things have come actually in that time is hugely heartening, but I can imagine by putting myself in your shoes that it would be nice if things happened a wee bit faster or a whole lot faster. Yeah, for sure. There has been a lot more representation in the last few years and that's really has made a a big difference. The final question for you, Cece, in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next? I would love if you could connect with my good friend, Stephanie Jagger. She is a photographer, film producer, videographer, and an amazing human being. We met by chance because we got invited to this dinner where nobody knew each other. We all were loosely associated with the host and it was a dinner of 12 people and Stephanie kind of has this slightly punk badass feel to her and our energies resonated right away at the very beginning where you get your drinks and you just kind of mingle and we since that time become really good friends she is a christian but like the best kind when i had my first doctor's appointment for my hormone replacement therapy i was so scared and she was the person who offered to make time take time out to go with me to that appointment and she supported me through that and asked questions for me when I was too scared to hardly talk in in that appointment. She does a lot of volunteer work with organizations that fight human trafficking and I think you would have a really really interesting conversation with her. That sounds absolutely wonderful. I look forward to connecting with Stephanie. Thank you for that, CC, And thank you so much for your time and for making the time and allowing us to have this conversation. It really means the world to me and it has been such a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you also. I'm sort of blown away that we got to connect in this way and then also to have it aligned with my goals of, of representation and normalizing trans narratives and especially Asian trans narratives. I mean, it means a lot to me. Thank you. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you so much for listening and connecting with us. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe and review. We'll be back next week with another impactful connection. Until then, be kind.